Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chat Tsunami. I'm Sad Tsunami and levelling up with me this week is my very good friend Adam. Hello Adam, welcome back. Hello, 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 good to be back. Always good to have a familiar co-host here. <laughs> no matter the quality, it's the familiarity that matters. You know we keep a high standard in this show, you know it. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt it because I, I'm sure I wouldn't be on here if that was true. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll renegotiate after the episode, don't worry, don't worry. after we go off <laughs> Nobody said there'd be quality here, I was lied to. <laughs> so, speaking of segues that totally don't relate to that point, <laughs> yeah, today, as you can see by the title, today we are going to be talking about quite an interesting topic, I have to say, because initially I was kind of thinking that this would just be a kind of standard list. You know, we would just list off our top video game levels and that would be it. We would just, you know, set it aside and that would be fine. But there actually is a lot more to it, isn't there? Oh yeah, definitely. It's actually a really, it's a really deep and actually interesting topic. So I'm looking forward to delving mm-hmm. into it. But before we dive into, you know, giving our opinions, our clear objective opinions, not subjective at all, I'm going to pose a question to you, Adam. So first Go of all, it. what would you say defines a level? Yeah, this is this was this was actually maybe if anything the trickiest question yeah. <laughs> of all the ones that you posed, yeah. and I wasn't really sure how to answer it. But I came mm. across this definition. And it's a very boring and dry definition, so mm. apolo- apologies in advance. But I think it's actually a really good one. Um, so the way I would define like a video game level is the total space available to the player during the course of completing an objective. Mm. Now I say that's highly dry and quite dull, but I think mm. it's actually a very good summation of if you want to just go like broad, generic, what is a video game level? I think le- level is one of these catch-all terms because you know not every video game has quote-unquote levels. You know, I know yeah. a lot of games have level one, level two, but you see tons of other, you see lots of other terms which basically mean the same thing. You know, some games have acts, chapters, you get episodes, maps, missions, stages. So there's like a variety of terms, but they all I think they all revolve around that definition, the above definition that I gave there. It's definitely a different coat of paint though, isn't it? Where Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As you said, yeah, it's like if you go into Call of Duty it's missions. If you go into like Life is Strange, for example, it's in chapters, you know. It's Sonics and Stages, isn't it? Sonics and Stages, yeah. And Mario's like in Worlds, is it not? Yeah, Doom, Doom, original Doom like had its maps, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, th- this is the thing, because I honestly felt like quite old when I was kind of reading about this, because I was like, you know, I was one stage away from stepping out into my garden and yelling at the kids to get away from my <laughs> lawn, as it were. But, <laughs> you know, like when we were growing up platformers were at least in the 90s they were all the rage and you know how it like evolved from platformers to more edgy you know fps games and you know like yeah the the, the whole gaming scene has changed it's kind of inevitable that it's going to change because it's such a big industry but would you say the concept yeah. of levels changed with it i think it's certainly in terms of scope and scale mm-hmm. Like le- the concept of a level definitely changed just with like the growth in basically console and computer memory. You know, when it, once it became, once game developers could create bigger worlds, um, you know, and bigger games, the, the idea of a level changed. It wasn't, it didn't have to be, you know, the kind of self contained, quite linear experience that 
you know, was more the norm in your kind of 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. even into your kind of early 2000s. I still think that in terms of what actually, you know, that definition of a level, I, I still, for me personally, I still think it holds as basically the same. I just think it's, it's just been like a big expansion in, in scale, mm-hmm. really, and, and kind of scope. It is almost as if it's a necessity, isn't it? Yeah. That if a video game is going to change, because when I said like I felt old talking about that kind of thing, <laughs> it's just I'm laughing because I'm thinking, you know, when you used to see those like whether it's like an article in the news or you know, it's like someone trying to understand gaming from <laughs> yeah. an outsider perspective, and you know, it's like you always see like the stereotypical. Oh look, I leveled up. Game on, game <laughs> over. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's like. What I always remember was, remember when you used to watch those TV shows when you were younger and it was clear that the writers, like it would be like a show for kids, but they didn't have an idea of like what video games were. Like I always remember, I think it was the show like My State, this is going to sound like a weird tangent, but I think it was that show My Parents Are Aliens or something like that, or My Something Are Aliens, like it was just a sitcom as the you know, title implies, you know, these kids get adopted by aliens, blah, blah, blah. And I always remember there was this one episode that I got really riled up about <laughs> because the, the, there was this kid, like, playing a Game Boy and there was all these kind of stock sound effects of, you know, the pew pew and things like that going on. That boy did not have a cartridge in that Game Boy. <laughs> And, oh, you know, classic error, uh, and you, you know, they had like the emphasized, like, you know, stop that game, you've got dinner, and it's like, oh, I'm just finishing this level, and you're like, that's no, <laughs> it's wrong. It's not even got batteries in it, probably. Yeah, it probably <laughs> didn't. They probably just like <laughs> gave them a Nokia and said, yeah, pretend this is a Game Boy. <laughs> it's like, go on, <laughs> go on, Plim. It's called acting, son. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the real world now, son. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, what is what is this show? Just Anyway, that is aside. But that's the thing, though. That it's that kind of understanding of, like, video games as a whole, which, again, is a whole different topic. But, yeah, the idea of, like, splitting games up into levels. Because that's the way yeah. it used to be, you know. It's like, you had these different sections of a video game and, you know, it was just like, oh, you would be stage one, stage two, stage three, building up to the boss at the end of it and nowadays it seems a lot more like the lines for what constitutes as a level seems a lot more blurred as you said like with missions or you know like stages worlds whatever you want to call it it's just it it evolves with the game doesn't it yeah well as well like if you think Mm -hmm. about like older game one of the things i always think about an older level is that you used to be able to like you'd go into the main menu and you could go to like a level select screen you know and you could go oh, yeah. jump into like an old level. and you can still do that with mm-hmm. some games but if you're looking at like a lot of open world games now you don't really unless you like save the game at a very particular point yeah and hold on to that kind of save point you don't really have the option to jump back into like you couldn't like jump back into a mission that you liked in the witcher 3 i don't think there's no like option to, to select a mission it's mm-hmm. they've become more kind of organic and ingrained Sort of like into like mm-hmm. into the into the game itself and into the world, See, and even like even stuff like sorry like Half Life Two and things. Half Life Two is technically a completely continuous experience. Like there's they they have like little loading screens and, they, and you do get like the the kind of new episode new chapter like mm-hmm. 
names come up each time, but it is like a completely continuous thing. There's no like cutscene or any kind of like classic end of level thing. You just you proceed to another area. The game will do a bit of loading, and then it's like, oh, you know, I, forget, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called chapters in Half Life. It was like you know chapter yeah. four, you know, you know, into that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a more organic experience of just proceeding through. Is it chapters for Half Life? I think it's. I, I might be wrong chapters. in saying that. I might be. At, I, I think it's chapters, but, I, but I'm willing to be corrected because I might be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. It's not levels, anyway. I know, I know it's not a cold level. <laughs> These damn kids and their levels and things. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of brings us on to, like, I suppose before we get into our, like, personal favourites, mm-hmm. yeah, that brings us on to our first um, kind of really question. Actually, sorry, before I go on about that, um, just pointing out something you were saying there because I just remembered there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what was I going to say? I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, but it, just when you said about going back to levels, like I remember playing through, I think it was GTA 5. Yeah. Um, and I think you can play through levels again. Like there, there's a oh, mission. Okay. There's definitely a mission select, I'm sure. I could oh, be nice. wrong. Maybe it's that oh, or maybe yeah, it's Yeah, because they have yeah. ratings, don't they? So you mm-hmm. like replay missions to get better. No, yeah, mm-hmm. you, are, and you are correct. It's just so weird doing that in an open world game. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, I would have no, like, if I was playing a Sonic game, for example, I would have no issue with just, like, going back and playing it again, trying to, you know, oh, God, I was about to say get the high score, and even then I felt old, because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you wanna, no. You want to put, you want to put those three, those three letters onto the, onto oh, the top yeah. of the screen. <laughs> those sat right on the top yeah. <laughs> H my name into history one day <laughs> one day that will happen um, it's a life goal but with <laughs> uh, with yeah with sandbox games and kind of open model games it's not really the same is it no it's, it's a different it's a different sort of experience in mm-hmm. a way I guess that's the term so before we get into you know talking about our favourite levels and this is probably going to be quite a broad question mm-hmm. but what would you say makes a level good or bad in your opinion okay right so i'll, I'll go with what makes a, a level good mm-hmm. as first so and so I, I donned my i donned my researcher cap here and i i dug into the archives to try and to try and see if i could elucidate the key principles mm-hmm. um so this is and so i came up with three key principles that i think make a good level so this is this is adam's three key principles to level design from somebody who has no qualifications or, or any sort of business talking about this. But here we go. So mm-hmm. the three principles that I came up with that I thought are most important were emotion, innovation, and then design. So mm-hmm. with, the, with the heading of emotion, I truly believe that a good level elicits like an, an emotional response from mm-hmm. the player. Um, now, this can, be, this can be any emotional response at all. It could be fear. It could be exhilaration, tension, desperation, mm-hmm comedy can be any sort of emotion but i think a really good level will elicit at least one sort of emotional response from you and as well like i think a a really great video game level creates memories and you get that sense of like wow you know when you're playing it and that's more than just like one or two memorable moments Mm -hmm. um so for instance like i often think of have you played the original red dead redemption oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so you know the you know the i won't i won't spoil the ending like for people Mm -hmm. who, who maybe haven't played it but the very final, well, not sorry, not the very, not the epilogue mission, but like the very kind of final mission of the game. Right at the end, there's this great like moment, and I presume you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like such a great. It's one of my favorite kind of moments in gaming. But I, looking at that level, like I'm, I don't, I wouldn't rate that level as one of my favorite in gaming if that makes sense. Because I'm like that was yeah. just one moment. Mm-hmm. The rest of it isn't 
as memorable in my opinion while a really great level has that completely throughout you remember you can basically remember the whole mission mm-hmm. and you can follow it through on its beats yeah. um so for kind of examples for me like i look at things like the suit like the very final mission in mass effect 2 the suicide mission mm-hmm. where you built up your crew and everything and you go on this like final like do or die mission to try and save humanity and it all like everything that you've built towards like peaks and you know and you all the relationships you've built with your crew and everything and you're desperately trying to make decisions to keep them alive and just so it provokes all these like just emotions in you of like fear and tension and yeah. everything and it's just such a memorable like experience also as well as for me like the very first level of battlefield one did that for me in the way it was designed like it just it provoked like i i it was i was just it just in awe really of, of what it did and i thought it, had, it did a really good job of of you know showing the kind of carnage and like you know the real like sadness of of the of the first world war and how it did um so moving on to kind of innovation um i think as well that a really good video game level will like innovate and mm-hmm. it, it introduce the player to kind of new mechanics and concepts or it takes you know mechanics that's already established and puts a new spin on them and you know gives it keeps the game fresh keeps the gameplay mm-hmm. fresh uh, it can deliver completely fresh gameplay as well um, also, I think a really good level can surprise a player, you know, whether that be through like elements such as the pace, maybe the locale, perhaps the enemies, just different things like that. But it will really give you a surprise. Like, oh, I didn't see this coming. And it, that's what you know, makes it memorable. Things for me are like the, the mission in Titanfall 2 called Effect and Cause, which is the one where you get the uh, time travel gadget. And, you know, then you like you're time traveling between like the ruined facility um, and then you can go, but you go back in time to when it was fully working and you've got different enemies to fight and oh, it allows you yeah. different ways, mm-hmm. like platform, but also like, so as well, if you're in a completely difficult fight, say with the enemy, like enemies in the kind of past, you can skip forward to the present, maneuver yourself around, go back to the past and you flank them and everything. And it's, it's really like, I think it's a really innovative way as well. Someone like the Riddler challenge rooms, Batman Arkham City, just in the way they made you think about like different uses for Batman's gadgets and how you could overcome these challenges. And then finally, with the idea of design, obviously, like, there's a need to make a level fun. And a, a good video game level, I think, is, is fun to play. But as well, you want to create an interest, I think, in your level. And you, like, perhaps want to make players explore it. If it's not, like, too linear a level, you might want to encourage, rather than, like, a player just going A to B, you know, to finish the yeah, level, yeah, you yeah. might want to encourage them to explore a bit. I think as well, like, if it's a really well-designed level, it tells a player what to do, but not how to do it. If that makes sense. So it says need to do so you need to do this objective to complete the level but you know we're not going to tell you you must do this to finish it you know so you've got um, you've kind of got scope to like to choose devise your own approach to it i think as well like a good level empowers the player and you know like you you have a lot you get some agency and you not just feel like you're being kind of handhold you know you're not being like pushed through it and people are guiding you like and telling you oh do this now do that i I think having really efficient design as well not being wasteful and making a really kind of tight experience and not having bits where you're like this is just you're just padding this now and it's you know mm-hmm. it just feels like it's dragging and so examples for me are, i think the sapienza level in the hitman game from 2016 was just mm-hmm. such a great was such a well-designed level that really made you want to explore and gave you these objectives but then you really wanted to devise your own way to achieve it and gave it like a great replayability also the silent cartographer level from the original halo mm-hmm. the one where you land on the island and it's like the beach assault at the beginning i thought it was just such a well-designed level in terms of its pacing and just the way it kind of pushed you forward and got you these really exciting moments. So those are, those are the three principles that I would say for good video game design. And briefly, just for what I think make a bad video game level, mm-hmm. I'd say levels that are just kind of uninspired. You know, you can tell there's not really much passion 
kind of behind it. They kind of feel like going through the numbers. Like if it's flabby, if it's a flabby experience. You're like, this is just wasteful. Like you know, like you're just adding things in, and you're just like, oh god, another like fight in a corridor with you know another fight in a room with mm. chest high walls. Forcing like kind of one-off mechanics into a game, you know, whether it be like a forced stealth section or a forced vehicle section, that just the game just it, it, it's not well implemented. Um, unclear direction as well. Sometimes if you just you're just not given any clue about what you have to do, it can be quite frustrating. But at the same time, you can be too there can be too much handholding, and you can be just like you're like I'm not having any chance to really experience this. And then finally, I'd say like an unfair challenge, you know, where it's just like this is just too difficult, and like I'm not having any fun trying to trying to like, you know get through this. That's the kind of things I would say for a kind of bad video game level design. No, there are very good points. Um, kind of just hoping on, and you know, I, I swear to goodness I'm an optimist, I'm not a pessimist, but jumping on your bad level, <laughs> criticism, or not criticism, but your points. Uh, yeah, I, I do see what you mean, like just when you were saying about the repetition there, because yeah. I'm thinking of games like, of course, Gears of War. There was a lot yeah. of that, like I love Gears of War. I think the first two did a good job. But when you play, like, 3 and 4 and, you, you know, you see, like, a lot of repetition that you see the walls kind of rise up and you're like, okay, this is going to be a shootout scene, isn't it? And then yeah, exactly. they all run out and you're like, oh, God, right. There's and no it, surprise or anything at all. Yeah, and I suppose it's the same with, like, I mean, it's the same with a lot of shooter games, I would say. But especially with games like, and this is going to sound weird, but... <laughs> you know, it's going to sound weird about me talking about a Sonic game. I know, surprise. <laughs> but I, w- I would say personally, they're quite a good example of good and bad game design. Because if you look at their earlier like 3D games like Sonic Adventure, they definitely tried to make it a lot more open that you could explore. So at the very first level, you're basically on a beach and there's like so many shortcuts and different ways you can get to the end. Like They're not radically different you know you don't have to go off the beaten path to get to them but the fact that you can still get to that point you know it is it tells a lot that you know like even at the very beginning when you're standing there getting ready to run see if you turn right around you can get like items and things and that's just like a small touch like it's not as i said it's nothing revolutionary but it's like a nice touch you know it rewards the player for kind of navigating whereas with like the new games like let's say sonic forces basically you can either go above or below that, that's really it it's giving me bad flashbacks to the only rayman game that i've ever played and it was like an educational version of it and it was like if you got the wrong answer you would just die and that that was not a good game at all <laughs> maybe i'll open up about that one day but that's <laughs> oh that was that was an awful game but yeah it's like games that in fact do you know what i really don't like i do like in terms of like bad level design see when levels are far too big but offer yeah. nothing like oh, the, yeah. the amount of games that i've played where it's just it's a huge level and you're walking for ages and there is just nothing around like i mean if you look at some part like not everything about skyrim but if you look at some parts of skyrim and i know technically that doesn't fit into the narrative of it being you know broken into levels mm-hmm. but you know, it's like there's some areas in that where it's like there's just absolutely nothing. Um, you could be walking for ages and there's just nothing around. And yeah. that's, in a way, that's okay for that game because in other parts of the game, you know, there's like tons or there's random encounters. But when you have a whole game like that, like the amount of games I've played like that, and I'm just like, where's the, you know, and they talk about, oh, it's a big expansive world and everything. And I don't, I don't know, it, it's just it cheapens it. 
I think as well, in terms of bad level design, one of the ones that kind of stands out to me is, do you remember Watch Dogs? Yeah, yeah. And I hate to bring this up, I'm so I'm so sorry. But <laughs> Watch Dogs has this sub-level, almost, where you have to hunt down a serial killer. I think I brought this up before. So basically you have to hunt down a serial killer. And, you know, it's like it's really interesting because they get you to use all the old mechanics. So you think, okay, I'm going to be using all the old stuff that I've learned, all the old gameplay. But then it just plays out like any random encounter. You know, where it's like you have to spy on the person, you see who it is, you beat them across the face, that's it, like it's done. It genuinely, like, you could... Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> I mean, you like, that's the thing, though. It's like the missed opportunities, and for whatever reason, like, I'm not saying they should put their A-game in, like, a side story, but when you build something up like that, like, if you're building a level up, and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, just chuck it out the window you're like well why couldn't I have come you know in a different direction or you know is there any way that I could use the environment around me or you know it's just it's yeah I I would say that's definitely an example of bad level design but kind of backtracking and pretending that I'm a positive person (laughs) and going into like good level um, design like I do think that good level design is definitely all all of the above like what you said Um, I think you described it perfectly and as well I think reward as well like you have to feel as if you're getting rewarded for like see if you go off the beaten path i think that was one of the things that call of duty and a lot of other shooters get a lot of flack for the fact that they're all very linear with their stories like even with Mm. the new ones like i know there's the oh you can choose option a or b but at the end of the day you're still going to get to the same point at the end of it yeah you know it's like you can technically like some of the games did do that like you can get you know, the intel or the easter eggs and things. It shows, I suppose, that the developers of the game have some kind of, I wouldn't say affection, that's probably too strong a word, but, you know, they they have some kind of care for the game, that they're putting in these small touches which they really don't need to. Whereas in terms of a bad level design, you could have a massive map and say, oh, look, I've got this massive map, we're going to, from point A to B, and there's going to be tons of trees, and it's like... Well, if there's nothing in it... What's like, the point? I mean, yeah. I think the kind of paradox level that's sticking in my head right now is, you know, Slender, the eight pages? Yeah. Like, that game is perfect for, you know, building, like, a spooky atmosphere. But at the same time, the fact you're walking around that whole forest at, like, a snail space... Yeah. And there's just, like, no music and things, and it's just... I mean, I haven't even played it, and it brings back bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's that idea of trying to get that balance of giving the player something supposed to remember. Like, not every level has to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, like, a knockout every time. Yeah. I mean, would you agree with that? that... Well, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, like, I think, because I think it's, I don't know, maybe it is possible, but, you know, at the same time, like, you are, you are when you're making a game, you are, you are, like, you know, faced with like limited resources to an extent mm-hmm. and limited time as well. So sometimes you are just going to have to like, you know, crack, crank out a couple of levels that maybe aren't like, you know, aren't absolutely, you know, knock out the park, mm-hmm. as, as you say. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but you can still, you can still make like good levels. You know, they don't have mm-hmm. to be, you know, like top 10 <laughs> levels of all time material, but you can still make mm-hmm. good levels. Because I mean, if there's not like at least one good level in a game, <laughs> 
it's definitely going to drag it down. I think that's the worry. That oh, yeah. There always has to be that kind of magnum opus of each game. You know, whether it's the first... In fact, before we go on to, you know, our top three choices, I've got a quick question for you. See if a game is going to have a good level. Do you think it's important that the good level's at the start of the game or at the end of the game or kind of in the middle? Ooh, that is a good question. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at my list just now and mines vary. Like, some of them are at the very start of the game and then some of them are kind of mid I'm just mulling the question over in my head. Like it's funny because looking at my three choices, all mine are mid-game levels. Yeah. So perhaps I should say mid-game. Do you know what? I, I'm going to say mid, mid, mid-game. Mm-hmm. I think mid-game because, like, I think when you're starting a game, I don't necessarily think it's the most important to have like your A-game material at the beginning, mm-hmm. purely because unless unless it's an absolute stinker of a level, oh, yeah, you're yeah. going to probably play more of it. You know, you're going to keep playing the game, mm-hmm. and then I think as well, kind of on the on the same idea. If you're at the end, you're probably going to keep going as well. Like, so, like, it doesn't, levels don't have to be like the most standout, you know, like Magnus Open uh, mm-hmm. ones. Because, unless, again, unless they're absolutely, like, absolutely terrible, you're going to keep going. Well, I think in the mid game, like, I would say probably most people, if they're going to give up on a game, it'll probably be about that kind of halfway point in the middle of it. You know, if it's just dull and repetitive and you're like, oh, I'm not having any fun playing this. But, like, if you put, like, your standout level in there, you're going to spark people's interest, I think. Like, oh, you know, that was give it a complete breath of fresh air and they're going to want to keep going with it. So I'll say mid-game. I feel as if, if it's, like, see, for the very beginning, like, the first couple of levels, they don't have to be their A-game, but they have to have some kind of hook, at least. Yeah. That's to kind point. of intrigue the player to kind of go on and, you know, at least interest them to get to the A-game. Because, yeah, as I said, other than, like, one exception, yeah, the other two that I've got are definitely (laughs) mid-game. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, mid-game. Without any further ado, let's just jump into, like, our top three levels. So I will give the floor to you and, yeah. You sure? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Okay, so I'll jump in. Right, so my first choice... It's a level that I, I have discussed before. I discussed it back, mm-hmm. way back when we did our, our episode on horror games. Mm-hmm. And that is the level. It's a level from Half-Life 2. And it's level We Don't Go to Ravenholm, mm-hmm. um, which is about mid... I can't remember if it's exactly midway through, but it's, it's about the mid, you know, about midpoint of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this level is just fantastic on, 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 part of the world, on every level. It creates... It, it hits all the three principles that I, I talked about earlier. It creates this really effective sense of, like, tension dread and fear and exhilaration um and sorry probably before i launch i should probably explain a bit about the level um, yeah. so basically this level takes place in this uh, kind of small mining town um and basically the plot of half-life 2 kind of roughly roughly is this alien race has invaded the earth and like taken control of it and basically what happened in this this small mining town of ravenholm was sort of out of the way and it became this kind of resistance kind of hideout and center um for people who were trying to resist the the aliens who are called the combine in Half-Life 2, and basically the Combine find out about it. And so what they do is, rather than like attacking the city, attacking the town directly, they launch uh, what are called headcrab shells into the town, and basically headcrabs. I think it's, it's one of the like probably most memorable enemies from the Half-Life uh, games. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. They're like these like almost spider kind of crab-looking creatures that basically jump, like, basically jump on and attach the people's heads and turn them into zombies. Mm-hmm. Basically, so what the Combine did is they made shells filled with these things and they launched like thousands of them into, into Ravenholm. So basically, it, 
all the, the, the population of Ravenholm is wiped out and basically he was either killed or become zombies. So the town is basically like abandoned and sealed off. At one point and a half, I think you end up having to go through it. And it's this really creepy experience. And everything about the way it's introduced is brilliant as well. So the, chap the preceding chapter, you're in this resistance hideout. And they have a tunnel that leads to Ravenholm, but it's been all blocked up and sealed off. And then one of the characters, you go by it and one of the characters is like, oh, that's the, that's the tunnel to Ravenholm. Then they just pause and go, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't go there anymore. And it's just, it's a really short line, but it, you're like, oh, it creates this sense of, you get really like, oh, it's kind of exciting. Like, why don't they go there anymore? But also like mm -hmm. this kind of dread, like, well, there must be a good reason they don't go there anymore. Yeah. And circumstances mean you have to go there. And, you know, you instantly walk in and creepy music plays and there's like, there's a um, the legs of his corpse just ha swinging from this tree, and you can just see like see like bodies around and everything. It's a proper horror experience, um, and it's such a memorable. It's a really memorable environment because it's this really kind of claustrophobic small town with like narrow lanes and kind of ramshackle buildings and everything. Which, but it's also like you can see the detritus of of the carnage that happened uh, from the attack. And mm -hmm. um, what makes it great as well is it's the it's the first proper level in Half-Life 2 where you get to use the gravity gun, which is the standout kind of weapon of Half-Life 2. And it's basically a weapon that allows you to pick up objects and, you know, fire them and fling them at enemies or, like, solve puzzles with them. And that was one of the Half-Life 2's big selling points was its physics engine. Mm -hmm. And this was, it was the perfect playground to use this weapon. And what's really cool about it as well is they never specifically say to you, oh, you know, you can pick this up and fire that to kill an enemy. But they leave lots of environmental clues around mm -hmm. to give you ideas. So in one of the first rooms you go into you see a saw one of these kind of saw blades like stuck into the wall and you can see like a zombie's been cut in half with it and so you know you're like oh that that you know, oh, i can use that i can pick this up with a gravity gun and i can you know i can use it to, to kill any zombies that come my way it's a very clever design that way what's great about it as well is it's such a departure from the rest of the game and this is when i talked about it in the horror game episode i, I think i was i was answering the question you said what's like the best horror level in a non-horror game mm -hmm. this was the one i used because it's such a different experience from the rest of half-life 2 where for the most of half-life 2 you feel like quite like a, a, a quite a powerful character and you know you feel like you're with a one-man army but this level really strips that all away mm -hmm. and it presents you with a really kind of different environment and different challenges um, and you, you're just you're fighting zombies and head crabs, but there's lots of different ones. There's ones that are really fast. You know, there's some head crabs that are poisonous and take off like all your health in one bite. So it forces you to think differently. And it makes you feel really vulnerable. And you, you're in this claustrophobic environment where zombies just start to swarm you, and you really feel quite powerless, which is good. I mean, it has such tight design as well. Like it, the the level design is great because it kind of it pushes you forward, mm -hmm. and it uses the enemies to keep the tension there and always make you feel uneasy and you're never sure like are you going to turn a corner and what are you going to run into you know and um, something you might get trapped in a room and like enemies just swarm you at points but it's it always provides a good challenge but it's never unfair you never get to a point where you're like oh this is just unfair and i'm just getting you know i, I have no hope here so again that kind of keeps the tension going because you always have a chance to get through and you're like oh, god i just survived that one what am i gonna see next and so for me it just takes all those boxes of just of just a, a great level and it's such a memorable one if i was it was one of the first ones i thought of when we were doing this topic i was like i've got to talk about ravenhope because it's oh, such yeah. an it's such an amazing <laughs> level it's one that's forever like seared in my brain because I just think it's amazing. When we actually talked about that uh, level in the, I think it was episode three that we did oh, horror games. Ago. Yeah, it must have been. It was definitely, it was sometime last year anyway. And I think I said back then that I hadn't played Half-Life 2, like all the way through. Still haven't. Um, it's on my New Year's resolution list. <laughs> 
And that seems to be one of the levels that does stick out. Um, it's one of the levels that everyone keeps saying, hey, don't go to Ravenholm and things. And yeah, there is one I'll definitely need to at least record my reaction, I suppose. <laughs> and then send it to you and be like, oh my God, this is terrifying. No, I want to um, be there to watch. I want to yeah. watch live. Oh God. <laughs> I want to see your unfiltered experience to it. I'll be like, this isn't so bad. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of these things because yeah. Half-Life 2 is obviously an old game now. Like mm-hmm. it's what, fifteen years old now, maybe something maybe, like that. To yeah. be honest, mm-hmm. but and I don't maybe 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 it has maybe it's not maybe you wouldn't find the same experience going to it. You might find it a bit dated, and perhaps it's just yeah. because I happened to play it. You know, I I played it when the orange box came out, as so that was a couple of years after. But maybe you know now you might find it a bit dated. But I don't know I think it's just still an amazing mm-hmm. level. Yeah. I think it was two thousand and four originally. Yeah. I think Half Life came out. I'm just thinking I feel bad because <laughs> I'm looking at my like first top level that I would have said and I'm kind of like, my god, that is nothing like Ravenholm. <laughs> or oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, because my first level is, well, technically it, it loosely relates to the idea of the military. Um, <laughs> so have you ever played Sonic Adventure 2? <laughs> Oh man, I'm, I'm afraid to say. Oh. Wait, was that the one I played at yours? Or did I play Sonic Adventure One? Um, no, that was Sonic Adventure One. No, we oh, I, have, I have not played two then. <laughs> we uh, we never actually. So sorry, just for context, before the you know the whole lockdown thing went down, um, Adam and I met up and we're both playing games like from each other's. You know, due to a combination of us obviously being busy. Uh, so yeah, we never got into Sonic Adventure 2. How do I explain oh, this one? So basically the game starts, like, I remember the first Sonic Adventure begins where you are running through the city, you see this creature made of water, you beat the loving hell out of it, and then you run across a beach. And I, I was tempted, <laughs> I was tempted to choose that level, but the one I ended up going for was one called City Escape. So the way it begins, and this is literally at the start of the game, it begins, you're trapped in this um, military helicopter. Don't ask. Trust me, it's easier not to ask questions. <laughs> and then, of course, all of a sudden, out this military helicopter, Sonic the bloody hedgehog like just jumps out. He takes like this panel off the side of the helicopter, jumps down, and then goes through, not San Francisco, but it's like a city based off of San Francisco. And you like go down and... Like, if there's anyone out there listening who has played this level, you'll know when I'm talking about, like, see the soundtrack. The soundtrack for it is amazing. Um, It's a band called Crush 40 who does, like, a lot of music for the Sonic series. And they do one called, well, City Escape. Um, and that is just such a memorable song but it's like between that and you know just that high energy to kick off the game it's just so well done that it gets you hyped for the rest of the game and then by the time you get to the end like of the level oh my god the end of the level so you start off in a as i said you start off in a a helicopter you jump out you skate down you know you defeat all the robots in the way and then a massive truck starts chasing you and like the truck is so big that it takes up the whole road and it just starts like tearing up all of the cars at the side of the road i don't know do you remember that scene when i played through it like a while ago can't i'm not sure i'm I'm not sure i got to see you do that one i have to admit it sounds oh it's it was terrifying at the time because it's like you're running thinking yeah yeah i'm sonic the hedgehog and then two seconds later this big 
goddamn truck like comes out of nowhere and you're like oh god oh god oh god oh god <laughs> you're running down the street as all of these people's cars i always laugh because i like to imagine the people who actually live in those houses next door being like oh what a beautiful day and then two seconds later they see a a blue hedgehog running down the street and then b this huge military truck just chasing after it it's like yeah yeah i'm gonna call in sick for work today you know <laughs> um, but i mean like there's not a lot of exploration. There's some bits that you can explore in it. Not the best, but at the same time, I think it's like a really strong start that gets you into the rest of the game, which I think is a good thing because there's a lot of levels that if they swap places, then it would have put me off the game entirely. A lot of the treasure hunting ones, but that's that's a whole rant in itself. But yeah, no, that, that would definitely be mine to kick it off. City Escape. Um, from Sonic Adventure 2. Definitely a very strong one that keeps the energy high and kind of sets the tone. It's a goofy game. It's goofy, it's over the top, but you know what? I mean, I had a blast and, you know... Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't fun or memorable, I, like, obviously I wouldn't be bringing it up now, but, like, I wouldn't be thinking about it years later, going, oh, yeah, City Escape. <laughs> How do you think it compares to, like, other Sonic levels, just as a matter of interest? Like, is it, it, does, it does it feel familiar? Or is it? does it feel like something very different? Hmm. I mean, what they've started doing, uh, this is a weird thing that I kind of brought up at the beginning, because what they've started doing with Sonic levels is they've got this high, middle, and low path design. So it's yeah. like, they're also putting an emphasis because, you know, everybody loves Sonic um, in 2D, apparently, which is another rant in itself, but they, they put a lot more emphasis on that, so... They've got like the diverging paths, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel the same as like something like Sonic Adventure or yeah. even City Escape or things like that because it's like you're getting from point A to B, but kind of part of the fun was it uh, fun of it was trying to find your own way to get to that end point. Yeah. Whereas in the newer ones, it just feels it, I don't know it feels a bit more hollow in a way. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. As I suppose that's just them trying to play it safe. You know, because the weird thing was, I was kind of laughing because I was thinking of Sonic Forces again, where there's some bits where you can explore to get these, like, collectible rings and things. And see, once you get them, it's kind of like, great, what, what do I get with it? And Is I think you, you can really do with it? I think, I think you get, like, a t-shirt or something for your Sonic OC. <laughs> and that's it. And it's, like, it's like, yay. I spent out. Yeah, spent hours trying to get this and, you know, for a pair of sunglasses. I'm like, yeah, sign me up, coach. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, so, yeah, that is my first game. So I'll hand it back to you. <laughs> I'll hand it back to you for your second one. All right. On on a very similar similar note, uh, my next choice is from the original Bioshock. Um, a game I'm sure much like... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's a way that... Oh, there's no trucks or anything in it, though. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find a link from what you said. It's a city. It takes place in a city. There okay. we go. Yeah. Link, link established. Yeah. <laughs> so the bit that I've chosen um, is the Fort Frolic, uh, Fort Frolic oh. area from, mm-hmm. from Bioshock. Again, now this this might not fit into the kind of classic, as we were talking about earlier, level. Mm-hmm. The def, like um, kind of idea of a level. This is more of like a map. But the way Bioshock, the way the original Bioshock is structured is it's mm-hmm. these different areas. Which themselves are, I think they are levels. You know, they, they still conform to the idea of a level. So yeah, Fort Frolic is just this, it's just an unforgettable locale, and it just sticks in the mind, and it's the most memorable bit of the original Bioshock, and it's the best bit, um, in my opinion, and I think quite a lot of other people's opinions mm-hmm. as well. Um, again, it's about, it's about middle of the game, again. So basically, for the first half of Bioshock, 
uh, from the point that you are first arrive in the underwater city of Rapture. And basically, uh, Bioshock takes place in a city called Rapture, which was designed to be this, uh, built by this kind of like um, enigmatic um, sort of millionaire who wanted to like free kind of artists and scientists and like other people from kind of government control. Um, and he wanted to build this kind of free, quote unquote, like free society where people like mankind could push it, push itself to the limit, you know, and better itself. And basically it ends up like devolving into civil war and just um, tearing itself apart. And when you arrive, it's the city that's just in ruins now. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, and basically its, its inhabitants are basically all kind of like drugged up like lunatics who are called splicers. Um, and basically, so for the first half of Bioshock, from the time that you arrive in Rapture, you're basically trying to find the creator of um, of Rapture, who's called Andrew Ryan, and you're being guided by this other other figure called Atlas. And as you're getting close, it's not long before you finally meet uh, Andrew Ryan. You enter this area called Fort Frolic, which is only meant to be like a brief stopping point. You know, you, you travel via kind of underwater bathospheres, um, mm-hmm. which are like little kind of tiny, like kind of small miniature submarines. And you arrive in Fort Frolic, and you just need to get to the next one and go. So, but just as you get to that next bathosphere, like it gets locked away, and basically you get introduced to the basically the quote unquote ruler of mm-hmm. Fort Frolic. Um, and Fort Frolic used to be the kind of entertainment district of um, of Rapture. So it was filled with like casinos, nightclubs, all these kind of like shopping, like all these kind of different shopping uh, shops and everything. The proper like entertainment district, and you kind of meet the quote-unquote ruler of it now who's this man called sander cohen who is this artist um, who's basically kind of gone mad and like taken control and like designed now fort frolic in his own kind of image and what's really interesting about it is so for the most of the time that you're traveling for rapture you have these two you have the figure of atlas and you have the figure of andrew ryan who are constantly talking to you and like trying to sway you and everything but for fort frolic you don't hear from either of them because it's sander cohen just cuts your radio off so you only hear from him Mm-hmm. Um, the whole time and so it makes it a really different experience um, it's another level that like makes you constantly feel uneasy and tense because it's really different and it's really creepy in points and it's again like most a lot of Bioshock is quite like more like a horror experience but there's something about Fort Frolic which just takes it to that extra level mm-hmm. what's really good about the level as well is it has this really innovative relationship with the kind of central villain so usually all the areas that you go to have like a kind of central villain figure who you eventually have to fight. And it's, they're kind of like classic kind of boss fights. But it's not the case in Fort Frolic. Basically, rather than actually like being in conflict with the main villain, you actually collaborate with him. And so he sets you this task in that he wants you to basically track down. He has, this, um, he has these three people who he called his muses and stuff, who, who, these artists who he was grooming, but who've mm-hmm. like turned against him. And so he wants you to track them down uh, throughout Fort Frolic for, for like they kill them basically take a picture of their corpse and then Jesus. display it on this like this kind of mm. col- this art collage that he's making so it's this kind of collaborative relationship and he kind of helps you out and it makes it really interesting mm. it also introduces kind of new enemies <coughs> that differ from the previous enemies you faced mm-hmm. so for the most part you're facing these enemies called splicers and um, they kind of come in different varieties there's ones armed with kind of like melee weapons there's ones with guns some of them like climb around on the ceilings and stuff and others can kind of like do short teleportation and basically they all have one thing in common they're all basically completely mad and you can hear them like rambling and like raving and yelling and everything so you usually hear them before you see them but in fort frolic you get introduced to this very different enemy called which are called plaster splicers and basically like sander cone is an artist so he's and he's fascinated with sculpture and so as you kind of venture around fort frolic you see lots of like figures like plastered and everything like that just like displayed in some of them some of them are like in dancing poses other ones are in in kind of like see, like kind of like like um kind of working poses, just different kind of poses and everything. 
and eventually at one point if you do it if you go to a specific location and you activate a specific thing these enemies will scatter and then they'll just attack you at random. They'll show up at random points in the level, and they're completely silent. And the only really way that you can hear them is you can hear, like, they crawl around on the ceiling, and if you listen for, like, the tiles, like, falling off and stuff, that's the only way that you can hear them. Otherwise, they'll just attack you, and you have no, you have no concept. Or else they'll just show up. Like, you'll turn a corner, and one of them will just be displayed in front of you. But it's really interesting that if you, if you don't do the specific thing, so it's like a weapon upgrade station, and if you use that weapon upgrade system, then that's what triggers them to, to, to disperse. But if you don't use it, then you'll never encounter them. They'll mm. just be statues. You know, and as far as you know, you'll, you'll, have yeah. no reason, you'll have no reason to ever like, interact with them. As well, it has, a, such an, it has a really innovative gameplay segment, um, which st stands out completely from all the other kind of combat sequences mm -hmm. in the original Bioshock. So basically, after you've, I think after you've collected like two out of the three photographs, and put them on the on the display. Sandra Cohen basically goes into this mad rage, and he accuses you of like of like not respecting him, not respecting his work, and he sends enemies to attack you. But what's really interesting is some Tchaikovsky music starts playing, so it's like kind of classical kind of ballet music, and these enemies attack you, but they're really weak. They don't have much health, the enemies, and their attacks don't do that much damage, and it almost plays like a kind of dance sequence. It's really interesting, and like you can kind of get into it, and you can kind of time your like your swings of your weapon to like to go with the beats of the music and mm. make it this kind of proper ballet dance and it gives you the sense of like even though he's attacking, you're still like working with sander cohen and you're creating this kind of art and this kind of artistic yeah. it's really really interesting and it's really innovative um, and it's another it's a level that you really want to explore mm -hmm. so the bioshock levels are always quite fairly large and you know you can just go point a to point b but you can also like you know dive off and go explore different locations and everything and find kind of collectibles and audio mm. audio kind of logs and things and this is a level that really makes you want to do that to find out more mm. there's excellent like environmental storytelling and like the fort frolic location tells you a lot about rapture about like the world that it used to be and the world it is now and it tells you a lot about sander cohen as well and his character it was great in that and it's just it's just such a unique experience within the game it just stands out from all the other levels and the original bioshock is a great game and i absolutely love it the song about Fort Frolic, and I think it's just all these things that I've mentioned that just combine to make it this just really innovative and just fantastic experience. And it's just it's just one that like mm -hmm. I'll never forget and absolutely love. I really need to play Bioshock again. I started, got a couple of levels in, but I don't think I ever made it to Fort Frolic. So yeah, you've, it's good. You've it's good. You've reignited my interest, and in I have to say, no, I'm glad something good came out of this. Oh, definitely. Something good came out of my ravings. So yeah, next week is going to be the Bioshock episode, and. <laughs> I'm looking. Yeah, I, I suppose a different kind of horror, which I'm trying to like loosely link these. <laughs> so the second game I chose, or sorry, the second level that I chose is in itself a bit of a horror game. Well, not a horror game, but it's definitely some kind of horror because yeah, the one I'm talking about is Vendetta from World at War, which is, I mean, the whole game is quite brutal in terms of its depiction of war, isn't it? Oh yeah. Like, it's, Definitely. I think it was like the very first, like, Call of Duty game that properly emphasised that. Like, you know, you always had death and things like that in Call of Duty, you know, it's expected because it's a war game, but yeah, I think that definitely toned up the horror, you know, with people getting chopped and just horrible yeah. things happening. But Vendetta is like a very special level in that sense. It begins as you're a, I think you're a private or a sergeant in the Russian army. 
after, I think it's after the Battle of Stalingrad, isn't it? It's during the Battle of Stalingrad. Oh, sorry, during. Yeah, during the Battle of Stalingrad, and you're amongst just basically a pile of your dead comrades and you start crawling through you see you know the german soldiers like gun you know the dead bodies and everything it looks like absolutely horrific and then you come across another character who is just so iconic victor reznov who's like the he's basically like a sergeant or a commander or something but yeah he basically guides you and gives you a sniper rifle yeah, like, guide you through the city and it has all these kind of really kind of good tidbits of saying, like, oh, you should only shoot these people when the bombers are above because that will drown out the sound. Let's move up before they find the body. You know, things like that. It's a lot more slow, if you know what I mean. It's a lot more... It's not, like, your stereotypical... Because you can imagine if it was, like, Modern Warfare 2, it would be, like, someone no-scoping their way into the Stalingrad victory, and it would be, like, not historically accurate. But no, like, that aside, it's very good the way they pace it. Because it is, it's quite slow. You pick them off one by one, you make your way through the abandoned city, and it is quite haunting. Because, I mean, between the music and going into, like, bars and things that are just obviously completely desolate, but they've still got that faint light coming from them, you know? And it's really good. And then you get to a point where a sniper spots you and tries to hit you. So you have to, like, dive into this building and try and shoot them back. Now, for all those Call of Duty fans, if you've played this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here, and you'll know as well, Adam, (laughs) what I'm about to go on to. But basically there's a level where... Or sorry, not a level, but a part of the level where this sniper is trying to hit you. So you have to, like, scan each window to see where he's shooting from. And if you make one wrong mistake, I think it's basically... It's, like, one shot, one kill, isn't it? It's close enough. Like yeah. I think on like, the medium difficulties, it'll take off virtually all your health. Like, yeah. I think higher difficulties is what it is. Literally one shot, one kill. Yeah, like it took me ages to do it in veteran mode. It was yeah. uh, it was horrible. I did it, but at what cost? <laughs> but yeah, it's like that kind of cat and mouse game where you're having to hit them, and the amount of frustration that you feel when you actually do hit them, and they're like, oh, you only wounded him, you grazed him, you know, you hear that over and over again, you're like, oh for goodness sake, how many bullets can this guy take? And then he's got decoys and things, and it's just so well done. I think after that, like, it is still good, but I think after that it kind of follows the more traditional, like, see, once you jump out the building after it explodes... Yeah, I think that's when it turns into back to a Call of Duty game where you're just fighting, you know, normally, and then you get to the end where you have to shoot the Russian, or not the Russian, sorry, the German captain, or whatever his name is. Yeah, I do think it's just such, it's quite refreshing, especially for a game that always is set to 100 in terms of its narrative, even with... Because like, if you look at um, Modern Warfare 2, which I think came... The year after. Was it the year after? Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to think where, again, it's a word I use a lot, but these very bombastic levels, whether it be a stealth mission, whether it be a, yeah, just a regular mission where you're shooting in a corridor, like there wasn't any subtlety to it. Whereas yeah. this, you could feel the atmosphere, you could feel the tension. And even though you were kind of set into one path, it did a good job of kind of masking that. It kind of encourages you 
to think about it. Like, it doesn't say, oh yeah, just run up and stab them one by one, you know, be a superhero. You're using, you know, you're using common sense to be like, right, okay, these bombers are going over, therefore they're not going to hear me shooting them and no-scoping them from all the way over there. Lie, I'm not good enough to no-scope from that distance. (laughs) But, you know, it's, I, I, I just think it's like such a good, like, kind of Hall of Fame moment for the Call of Duty series and I think it's one that a lot of people come back to when they think of Call of Duty and they think oh it's you know oh it's Vendetta so yeah it's definitely one that's lived on and I do think it definitely deserves to be one of those top levels it's such a great it's such a great tone setter I think as well Mm -hmm. for like the rest of the Soviet campaign in in World at War because the the kind of driving like theme of of the Soviet campaign Mm -hmm. in that game is that it's like a revenge you know, it's this. It's like the Russian army coming to like take its revenge on Germany for all that it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, done to them, to their people, yeah. and everything. And you really get that in the throughout that whole level. You know, because the, the the whole part of the level is that you're trying to assassinate this German general who's like, you know, caused all this chaos, caused all this havoc and death and destruction. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this great set off for like set off for right. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get our revenge here, and then you know few years down the line we're going to go to germany and like properly enact our revenge so i think it's an absolute great tone setter for the story of that campaign i think what's good about this level is while if you play it in veteran mode you get one shot killed by that sniper what we're just talking about but at least it's better than when you're trying to storm the reichstag and there's like 50 grenades at your feet (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is another yeah just quickly sorry before i ask you about your (laughs) third um, level yeah if you play this game in veteran and be prepared to see a lot of grenade counters because that's the games i would say that's probably well it's more of the ai i think than the levels but yeah there is a huge problem where if you play it in higher levels the ai um who are shooting at you think oh yeah i've got a grenade i'll just throw it and then his friend thinks oh i'll throw a grenade and then everybody and their mother throws a grenade and it's like great and then you have to play the mission like a thousand times so we're going to move on to your third one before i start (laughs) ranting about that (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah what is your third um level that you chose so well we have an actual proper link here <laughs> for the Ooh. first time because i'm also picking one from the call of duty series nice. and i'm going i'm going the game before world War. i'm going to call of duty 4 and one more and i'm picking the level all gillied up um that's a good which, one yeah which i still i think still tops like poles of the greatest call of duty level of mm-hmm. all time rightfully so i'd argue and again it's another really memorable location so basically this mission is a flashback uh, mission mm-hmm. in Call of Duty 4, and it takes place in Chernobyl, which is the Soviet nuclear uh, reactor that uh, melt, like, had a meltdown and basically mm-hmm. released all this like, radiation into the area and basically made Chernobyl a dead city, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes place there, and you're part of a, a like an SAS team um, who's sent to assassinate this kind of um, this Russian ultranationalist leader. Who I think is trying to like buy weapons, if I recall rightly, and has been deemed like a, a real danger. So you're sent mm-hmm. to assa- as part of this two-man team to assassinate him, and you're playing as like a young Captain Price, who's one of like probably one of the most famous characters in the in the kind of Call of Duty uh, series. And yeah, like the, the Chernobyl makes you such an uh, evocative and such a memorable location as you're like sneaking through, and the, the level is all designed around like you being stealthy and you're there to like so you're dressed up in what was called these ghillie suits which are like these big camouflage suits that have uh, kind of designed to blend into foliage and you and like your 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 uh, squad mate you're crawling through and you're trying to sneak through to get yourself into position it has some as a level it has some incredible moments of, of 
tension and just exhilaration and foreboding because there's there's some moments that are just like still i think about them i get all tense thinking about them there's one bit where you're kind of crawling across this field and then all of a sudden this like patrol this like alternate russian alternate patrol appears and they're walking towards you and they have, there's armored vehicles and there's lots of guys and you have to just like stay still and try and like find try and like maneuver yourself so you're not going to be directly in the path of one of like the walking soldiers because if they find you there's like no way you can get out you're going to die and it makes for a really tense moment and there's another bit where you need to like dash through this kind of convoy and crawl under trucks and it just it's just it's just so well done mm-hmm. for these moments um, it's a real shake. It was a real shakeup from what was the usual kind of first-person shooter fare, and it's something that's so different, I think, from like anything that really come before it, because it really forced you to rethink how you approach a situation, like compared to normally how you would. So normally in FPS, you know, you're you're confronted with bad guys. You're like, well, I've got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can solve the situation quite easily here, mm-hmm. with me and Mister Gun. But this one like really forced you to think, and you know you get a choice a lot of the times. You get a choice. You, your the, your squad mate gives you the choice and says, you know, you can take these guys out or you can let them go past, and it's really your call. And so you really get a lot of choice about how you want to approach it. I so say although it's like quite a linear level, it does it is an environment that you kind of want to explore a bit of. And I, I would love to like. Mm-hmm be able to explore more of it because it looks so fascinating just the way they've done it is is so like amazing mm-hmm. and it, it really defies the kind of the kind of normal fps conventions of intense action especially at the end of the level usually i would say it's kind of a usual kind of convention of like a first person shooter level like as you get towards the end usually that's where the the action really kind of ramps up you know and that's where you're like fighting more enemies and getting in really kind of like intense situations but this one actually like you so basically towards the end of it you actually get into like the kind of city itself and there's hardly any i don't think you actually come across any enemies the last you come across some like wild dogs who you know like who can provoke a challenge but you're really just exploring this basically dead city and like these abandoned apartment blocks and this like abandoned swimming pool i think maybe a i think it was a school or like a kind of like um an office building or something like that but you're going through and it's, it's really evocative and you know and, and at one point your, your squad mates like you know fifty thousand people used to live here and now it's this ghost town and you really get that and there's like they kind of have like haunting like kind of children's voices like you know you can hear like children playing and stuff and, and it makes it really like a really interesting like experience and something that you wouldn't expect to find in especially a call of duty game and it really lets you kind of soak in the atmosphere it, again as i was saying before it allows for a really good deal of kind of player agency and um, in that you have the choice of taking guys out or going past them but it's one that makes you deal with the consequences so like sometimes sometimes you you might decide i want to take out this group of enemies but then you come to the next group of enemies and you're like oh i'm gonna let these guys go past mm-hmm. however a lot of the time the guys who let go past can discover the dead bodies and then that raises the alarm and forces you into like you know a combat situation that you weren't prepared for at all so it's one that you really have to think about and mm-hmm. put consequences as well there's like at one point there's a helicopter that circles above and you go into a building and there's like a crate of, of stinger missiles which are like anti-aircraft missiles just lying there and the game doesn't tell you like oh use a stinger to destroy the helicopter they're just lying there and it's completely up to you you can just try and hide out from the helicopter or if you want you can try and take it down but again you got to weigh up the consequences going back to the idea of like efficient design that i talked about i think this is the perfect example of it like I, there's no kind of wasted motion in this level there's nothing that makes you be like oh this is just drawing it out and padding it out everything in there is just perfect like it kind of revolves around these couple of kind of set pieces these nail-biting set pieces i talked about and then these kind of bits in between where you're like you're kind of creeping through and you're going to choose. You're like, oh, do I want to take people out? Do I want to sneak by? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think it, it was a revolutionary level. Um, and I think it was a revolutionary level in what was a revolutionary game. Certainly for like the, certainly for the Call of Duty franchise. And I think for like the shooter 
shooter franchise in general for what it did. And it's one that I don't think the series has ever been quite able to emulate again. No. They've never been quite mm-hmm. able to like get the same feel and the same impact to that level. And as I said, the fact that it's still regarded as like the greatest level in the COD series, I think, I think speaks volumes to it. And it's one that I always look back on really fondly. And again, another one that when we did this topic, mm-hmm. one that instantly came to my mind. It's like, got to talk about all gillied up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the closest it came to was Vendetta, probably. Because yeah, I think probably. Vendetta came after, or sorry, World at War came after uh, Modern Warfare 4. It is. It's like, again, that's another kind of example of a sniper level that, again, like it allows you to take your time, but... One of the things, actually, I was just thinking when you were talking about that, about player agency and things, is they're, like, really well done invisible barriers. Like, because if you play through, you know, a Call of Duty game either nowadays or a lot of FPS games as well, I'm not just singling out Call of Duty, but there are a lot of FPS games where they'll say, oh, go to point B, you know, from A. But then you decide, oh, what if I want to loop around and there's like a huge like invisible barrier and it's like, yeah. oh, great. Whereas obviously because of what happened in Chernobyl, there's like radiation pockets. So they're all like fenced off and all gillied up. So it's like you can't go past that point, otherwise you are going to die. Or if you go another way, then it's filled with enemies. So it's like, right, you have to like go on this path. And it's similar in the Vendetta level where it's like, You've got the German soldiers all around you, so it's yeah. like you're having to sneak and go through like a certain way, but there's a reason for it. Like, you know, you're yeah. not just like running out in the streets because there probably would be a sniper, you know, just yeah. chilling up there. So it makes sense. But yeah, I do agree. Like, it's something that they definitely lost after that point where everybody just decided to pop out of the ground and be like, hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, didn't build as. I mean, not that they're not good games, but yeah, that is. They went down a different route. And, yeah, speaking of different route, so <laughs> so kind of linking to that idea of an atmospheric level, my, so I was talking to you off stream about this, my third level is one I feel as if, I wouldn't say it was like the most memorable one that people think immediately when they think, oh, top video game levels, but it's one that I've actually been really wanting to talk about for a while. So the one I'm going to choose is Cortana from Halo 3. Oh, um, I swear. I... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm just joking. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> Did you think I was serious for a second? <laughs> you know what? I knew you weren't serious, but I couldn't help a part of me was like, oh my God, he's done it. He's actually <laughs> done it. I was. I did have a speech prepared to be like, yes, Cortana is a very, is a very, um, it's a reflection of um, society as a whole and how miserable that you know. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's a terrible just, level. Um, just leave the call. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for coming to chat, Tsunami. Um, if you want to follow me, no, I'm joking. Um, so yeah, no. On a serious note, the level I've chose is one called. I don't even think it does have a name, but it's the wedding level in a game called Sleeping Dogs. Now, Sleeping Dogs is a game I absolutely adore. Um, if if for you guys listening there who maybe haven't heard of this game, it's basically like, and I don't want to kind of cheapen it, but it's basically like GTA but set in Hong Kong. It's just such a good game. It's like I honestly cannot praise this game enough. I feel as if the in the game like the 
hand-to-hand combat's like a lot better than the gunplay, yeah. whereas it's like vice versa for GTA and everything. But one of the levels, so basically you play a undercover agent called, um, I think it's Wei, and he comes back from America and he infiltrates the triads and, you know, he's working his way up, basically to arrest the big, you know, big bad who's like the head of all of it to bring him down. And there's one scene, now, yeah, yeah, there's going to be kind of spoilers here, so tread with caution. But, yeah, there's a scene that basically feels as if it is out like a Hong Kong action film. It honestly feels like one of those that you know something bad is going to happen, but you can't help but think... No, surely. So basically, halfway through the game, you're getting really chummy with your, like... <laughs> I don't want to say regional manager for the triads, but he pretty much is, isn't he? He's your regional manager. <laughs> your regional manager for the triads, as it were, who, the, you know, you get really chummy with him and he starts to warm up to you and vice versa. And he invites you to his wedding. So, of course, because it's a triad, it's that, like, this big fancy do, you know, you've got all the people, all the guests coming in. It's in this absolutely massive, beautiful house. And, of course, it's that three days from retirement um, (laughs) moment (laughs) where the groom's just like, oh, can you go to my car and um, bring out beers or something like that? I think it's, like, drinks that you have to buy. Or, or, yeah, wine or something, because he's like, oh, the big boss, like, his manager, has come to, you know, give his blessing. So it's like, yeah, no problem. So you go to the car, and then as soon as you get the wine two seconds later, all you hear is this screaming. And as soon as you hear that, you kind of think, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. It's a wedding, damn it. And you're running back, and you basically have to fight off the catering staff. And it's not just a case of the catering staff weren't paid or anything, by the way. (laughs) Um, It's more a case of they were just undercover. I think it's like a rival triad, isn't it? Or something like that. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah, Yeah, that's just infiltrated the wedding and they just like shoot up the place. Certain characters die, you know. It's just quite tragic. There are a lot of bits where it's like there's the gunplay as well, where it's like you can like leap over, you know, the like the chest high walls, like John Woo style, and slow down time and shoot people, which is cool. But at the same time, it just I don't know, it, it left a bit of an impact on me because it's a great game. Like I would highly recommend if you haven't played it. But just that level in general, it's. One that kind of sticks with you because it solidifies itself as like the turning point of the game. And it kind of shows like you can take like the level, you can take the level in any direction you want, you know, to flank them or just to run up and punch them in the face, which is always satisfying in that game, can I just say? Yeah. Um, But it's just such a... You know, it is gutting as well, because they build up, you know, as I said, this relationship between you and this triad guy, and yeah, it's just when they take that away from you, it's it is that kind of thing where, I think it was something you were saying when we were talking about what makes a level good and bad, where it elicited, like, an emotional response from yeah. me. Like, see if it was just like, oh no, you killed Jim. I like Jim, you know, <laughs> just as yeah. ga- just as NPC lying on the ground. Like I wouldn't have felt anything, obviously, but because you know this is a guy that you've spent half the game with, and now that he's you know 
he's met like a really bloody tragic end. You're like, oh, okay, this is um, this is unfortunate. <laughs> you know, like you you feel angry. Granted, you start to get a bit careless because all you want to do is just you know take these guys out and be like, you know what, you're going down. But I think that is where they kind of struck gold. Because it is, it's like, not only do they take advantage of their locale and, you know, the fact that, I don't know whether it was intentional or not to kind of, you know, refer back to those, like, Hong Kong action films where, you know, you've got the big wedding or something. Yeah. And then tragedy strikes. I mean, it's like going back to what we were talking about last time with um, License to Kill, where again, it's like a beautiful big wedding and it's like... It always was, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what's the worst that could happen? And then the bad guys find them and you're like... Oh no. (sighs) But yeah, that would be mine. Definitely capitalises both on the story, on the design of the place as well. And, yeah, overall a great level. And a great game as well. If you haven't yeah, played yeah. it, like, that is, that is a game that definitely one day I'm going to fanboy over, because I know you've got Medal of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To kind of, like, before we finish off, are there any honourable mentions or any kind of closing thoughts from yourself? Yeah, I mean, for, like, honourable mentions, like, I think I mentioned a couple at the beginning, like, but I, I would say ones that, ones that nearly made the cut but didn't quite for me. Um, so that first level of Battlefield, Battlefield 1, I think is, is great. And it's, what's great as well is that, like, when you first put in Battlefield 1 disc, like, before, you don't even, you don't get to a main menu or anything, it, it puts you straight into this mission. Um, have you played it? you played a bit of Battlefield 1, don't you? Um, I don't think so, no. Well, I'll, I'll describe, oh, fair enough, yeah. anyway, but, like, um, so basically, like, the mission takes place, um, and you're playing as this like you're, you're basically playing as as this American infantry division, um, who's like who's like caught in the middle of this German counterattack during mm-hmm. the kind of closing year of the First World War. And what's what, it's such an innovative way of like doing a first person shooter. So basically, rather than playing as like one set character, mm-hmm. what will happen is you start in like you get different kind of set pieces throughout the level where you'll play as a character, but that character will die. At the end of the, like they always they always die um and basically what happens is then like the camera lifts up and you get the person's name yeah and you get like how old they were yeah no I, it, I, it's really evocative and it's really mm-hmm. effective for for kind of showing just like the carnage and like the real suffering of of war like the first world war in this case but mm-hmm. any kind of war and i remember i played it with a couple of i think actually i might have when i first played it, i think S, i think s banks was there and Mm-hmm. As of like somebody else as well, and we were just there, and like it was like really like quieter points because you're like God, like you know, it's not the kind of way that when you usually play a first person kind of shooter, and you're like you're mm-hmm. really into like the kind of like action of it and everything. Yeah. Just, Damn, you know, it's like as as you're like playing, the, and you see like you've been playing as this 18 year old who's just mm-hmm. died, and it's it's such an evo- it was such an evocative mm-hmm. way of doing it. And the rest of the campaign couldn't quite get back to that level, but like for me, I'm just I still think about I'm just mm-hmm. like it was such an innovative way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But that was one that very nearly made the cut for yeah. me. No, it's just see when you were describing it there, like yeah, it came flooding back there because I was like, yeah, because oh. yeah, you, you're exactly right. Like when it comes to the rest of the game it's kind of like eh. but yeah that is yeah it's again another example of like them kind of showing their hand at the beginning of the game yeah rather than the yeah the end yeah the but really, like a really effective way to kind of hook you into it and mm-hmm. like kind of put you into yeah. the in the way of it and i think it's like one more i would, I would honorably mention mm-hmm. is is one of the is one of the kind of side missions in skyrim mm-hmm. um which is the the, the quest a night to remember which basically starts with you end, when you enter like a, a tavern at kind of at one at some random point in the game. You can meet somebody there who challenges you to a drinking 
uh, competition, mm-hmm. and basically, so you end up drinking them. You end up drinking with this guy, and then basically the screen blacks out, and then like time will pass, and you wake up the next day. You wake up in this temple, which you find out you've trashed because you've been so drunk, oh, and that yeah. kind of starts <laughs> off this quest of you like like having to mm-hmm. deal with your actions to then find out more information. You trade, and you find out that you stole. You know, you stole a farmer's like prized like ram and gave it to a giant. Mm-hmm. You got married to like one of these like Hagraven, which is like a kind of like a mm-hmm. a, a witch crossed with a bird. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you got married to this character. It's, it's, it was a really fun. I remember laughing so much at it because it's something very different from the usual mm-hmm. kind of fare of Skyrim. As you kind of like like a kind of hangover wrestling as you trace your actions, like, God, what the hell did I get up to? And you eventually find out that the character you were you had the drinking competition was was one of these Daedric princes. Uh, called sanguine who's like the mm-hmm. he's like what the prince of like debauchery and things like that so mm-hmm. like he's set you on this path but that one really stood out to me it's just been something so different and so funny mm-hmm. so th- those were two that nearly made the cut but yeah. didn't quite one of the ones that i was just thinking there i think it was one we were talking about as well like a couple of days ago was that was it three leaf clover oh three leaf clover of course yeah so <laughs> i was also saying that i had a funny story for this one um but oh, i don't think i told you so yeah, just very briefly. Um, I remember at university, I downloaded the game. <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to buy it, but I was just like, oh, okay. So I bought it for the PC, and for the most part, like, I used to have one of these um, pretty much, like, if you have a laptop kind of combined with a jet. Like, it worked fine as a laptop, but see, as soon as you play games on it, it just overheat. Like, you think that, you know, a PlayStation is noisy? Oh, (laughs) just this. But I always remember I played GTA on it, like GTA 4, relatively well. I mean, it wasn't the best, but it it played alright, which I thought, this is great. You know, I can finally play, you know, Grand Theft Auto (laughs) at university. Take that, (laughs) mum and dad. (laughs) You know, and then I got to Three Leaf Clover and everyone said, oh, this is an amazing mission. For my experience, um, yeah, the textures didn't pop in. Oh, no. So I was like, I absolutely had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. So it's like, I saw the NPCs, I saw kind of rough outlines of things, and they're like, get down to the basement. And you're running down to the basement, but I'm looking up and I still see everybody there. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, this is what kind of spectral hell am I standing in? So the whole game just glitched. And then I was like mashing the button until like I got whatever you get at the bottom. I don't know if it's money or something or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like the vault. It's like a bank. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But I just kept running until I ran into something and then I grabbed it. But I was just running in thin air. And I was like, oh God, this game has completely... It just completely glitched, so yeah, I could see everything, and then I would run it up, and once we left the bank, it was fine, but yeah, like, everything in between, it was just like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is oh, not... Man, that's, a, that's a real shame. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, for the rest of the level, I didn't really spoil it, but I do need to go back to it and kind yeah, of replay I, it, I, I think. Yeah, uh, that, That's another one that actually, I've forgot to say, mm-hmm. that's another one that nearly made the list, because I love mm-hmm. There's so many, like, see, even in, like, four or five, or, I mean, even, like, San Andreas and things, you know, there's so many levels in them that just could easily make the cut, but... It's true. Yeah. And we could. We could go on for ages. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make us, we will. Yeah, so this Saturday we're doing a 12-hour... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, Let's, um, game over this... You know, I, I had no idea how to end this, so I was just like, yeah, Level let's just complete. game. <laughs> Level complete, yeah. The, see, <laughs> see, that is... Yeah. I, like how, I like how in your mind we failed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, no, it's a mind, good like, game. You completed it, you're like, we failed. 
<laughs> it's like game over. Yeah, let, well, let's wrap this up, guys. Jeez. <laughs> I game failed. over, man. Game I fa- over. I failed as a streamer and a host. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, first of all, as always, Adam, thank you so, so much for joining me in today's episode. Mm-hmm. It's always well, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No, always a pleasure to have you on. And, yeah, if you want to see more of this kind of content, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and, of course, Twitch, under the name Satsunami42. If you want to see any of our old uh, podcast episodes, you can catch us on Anchor, Spotify, and, of course, all good podcast distributors. Without any further ado, stay safe, stay awesome, and, most importantly, stay hydrated. Bye, guys. Bye.